As they are heading off to Children's Church, why don't you grab your Bibles, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get one for you. You just raise your hand, and we'll bring one to you. Anybody need one? While you're in your Bibles and you are turning to Matthew chapter 21, I want to do a, a word of encouragement slash commercial for what's coming up in the next two weeks. Next week, when you walk in here, you are going to get a special treat. Uh, Carol Bram, from, uh, if you look in your bulletins, uh, you're going to see we've got somebody coming in from out of town. They are going to show us, she is going to show us how the Passover was taken. We'll have the table set out, all the elements of what, you know, what was it like 2,000 years ago when Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples and they were going to take the Passover. What happened? What actually, you know, we just read certain parts of it, but what took place with all the herbs and, and uh, the matzah and all those elements that they used and different things? What was that all about? We can't even pronounce half of it, right? She's going to be here. We're going to have a special time of worship at the very beginning. And then at the, the next part of the morning, she's going to take us through that whole thing. And we'll have a time of communion as well. It's going to be a very special morning. And we'd love to have you all back for that. The following week, April 6th, Ken Kington, he's a national known comedian. Um, FCA in this area, we're celebrating 10 years. And we're pretty pumped about that. And excited that after 10 years, all that's taken place. And we got a banquet uh, that Sunday night. But Sunday morning, Ken's going to be here with us. And Ken is not just like, oh, we're going to come and just hear jokes all morning, okay? Um, Ken is, is a comedian, but he also uh, speaks in churches, and he also does a lot of marriage retreats and talk about relationships. So Ken will be with us in two weeks, all right? Not going anywhere. I'm going to be here with you all enjoying it and soaking up every minute of it. It's going to be incredible. And uh, so as we're moving into Easter, we got a little couple special things coming here, and I want to make sure you're aware that it's on your calendar. Matthew chapter 21. Let's, uh, let's pray before we dig into God's Word. Heavenly Father, you are an incredible God. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather here this morning to worship you, to gather as believers, to gather as people who know we needed to be somewhere this morning. For some of us, it was, well, this is where I always am. For others, it's like, well, I'm just going to show up. And some came as visitors, some came as friends. Some come because they always come. Lord, we're all here for different reasons. But now we're here, God. We ask that you open up our hearts so that we can hear your words. Not mine, but your words. May those words penetrate our hearts and change us for eternity. In thy name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has been walking with his disciples. We started this last week, his final week, heading into Jerusalem. And as he's walking with his disciples, he's having some great discussion, some awesome moments of teaching. And then uh, he enters into Jerusalem, and he's hailed as the king of kings. Now, every gospel book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, contain this story. It's a pretty incredible story. And uh, I want you to understand this, that Jesus arranged it. This was not one of those spontaneous stories where Jesus, you know, did something and it's like, wow, nobody saw that coming. Jesus arranged this. He planned it. It wasn't spontaneous. All the stories in the gospel, we never hear of Jesus riding an animal, ever. 
He walked everywhere. Now Jesus is making a statement by his actions. And when I was getting out with the kids, I want you to hear, he was telling everyone that he was the Messiah by showing them that he is the Messiah. He did a little show and tell with everybody in this moment. And so in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, let's read this. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there. You'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them here. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately send them. This was done to fulfill the prophecy. Verse 5. Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus said. They brought the animals to him. They threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road ahead of Jesus. Others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. He was in the center of the procession, and the crowds all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was stirred as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus showed them what the prophet prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous, victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. He enters as a king, very humble. We sit there and say, yeah, that's my Jesus. Jesus is, is the one that has the sheep over his shoulders, and, and he always played with the children, and he is, he's such a good Jesus, you know, and such a nice Jesus. We forget, though, in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes in a different form. I saw heaven open. A white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. He judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understands except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. It's a different picture of Jesus, huh? So we picture Jesus one way, and then we read about Jesus another way in Revelation. Who is this Jesus that came riding in on a donkey, the King of Kings? As people shouted, Hosanna, which actually means, you know, when you look that up, it means, save us now. Save us now, son of David, is what they were screaming. But in the end of this entrance, as Jesus comes in on this donkey, this colt, what were they saying? Look at verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. As he entered, they said, Who is this? Who is this? Let me hear you all say that question. 
Who is this? One, two, three. Yeah. Who is this? Now, could you imagine that? Let's do it one more time, and I want you to say it as loud as you can because that's what was going on in that city. Let's try this again one more time. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Could you imagine that? You're with the disciples and Jesus, and all of a sudden you hear all these people, who is this? Who is it? You know, it's just, they were in an uproar. You know, in a few days, everything changes. Can you imagine they're walking together? King of kings, Hosanna. Son of David. Throwing down their coats and their palm branches. And then someone goes, who is this? Who is this? I don't mean, know who he is. A few days later, they're yelling what? Crucify him. What was going on? How, what, what's the random emotions that these people seem so fickle? I mean, do they really know who Jesus is? That's my question for us this morning. Do we really know who Jesus is? Some of you in this room, let me rephrase that. Some of us in this room, we call ourselves Christians because we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we say, I follow him. We have confessed our sins to a holy God. And we've been forgiven. And now we're striving to live as best we can with this new relationship with God. Now some of us are maybe in this room today and you've never confessed that. You're a really good person. You've done great things. You're nice. I mean, you go to church all the time, but you've never confessed that. You've never confessed your sins. You never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Some of us in this room might just be checking out this church thing and you're like, I don't know anything. I just showed up today. Regardless where you're at, you're here for various reasons. And if I were to ask you this morning, why do you follow Jesus? How would you answer that? Why do you follow Jesus? We, we sat down with the elders last month, and I, I posed this question to our elders. Why do you follow Jesus? I mean, if, if you're a leader... You're following Jesus and people are following you. You better be able to answer why you follow Jesus because you got people behind you following you as well. So why do you follow Jesus? He's a perfect example, right? He gives us the gauge, the guideline to how to live our life, how to do things a certain way, to be humble, servant-like, honest. He gives us a perfect example in relationships, how Jesus related to God, how he related to others. That shows us how we should relate to God, how we should relate to others. Jesus offers us salvation. It's a good reason to follow him. He's irresistible, right? Everybody wanted to be around him. As you read the New Testament, all these stories, crowds gathered wherever he went. He was irresistible. I don't know what's going on. I want to see. What's he going to do today? What's he going to say today? How's that going to impact me? See, if you're a Christian, you are someone who follows Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Truth is, many people today are sitting in church buildings all around the world calling themselves Christians. They're not even sure why they're sitting there. A lot of people today sitting in these multiple church buildings separated from this church and that church because they're this denomination, they're that denomination. Well, they do this this way and they do this that way. The crazy thing is, they all probably believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They just all want to worship Him differently. It gets a little frustrating. How can we be so divided in how we express our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And you have to think, what caused this incredible wave of emotion? 
who is this Jesus that people cheered for him so much, but yet in the next breath they yelled for his death? Was Jesus a good man? Or was he more than that? Was he a teacher? Or was he more than that? Was he the Son of God? C.S. Lewis said this, You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him for a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He, was not, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Who is this Jesus? Look with me at Matthew uh, chapter 20. This is where we were last week, Matthew chapter 20. If we were just to read Matthew chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 21, two chapters, what would we learn about Jesus? Well, we'd first of all learn that he's a great storyteller. Matthew chapter 20 talks about the parable of the vineyard workers. Chapter 21, towards the end, he talks about the parable of the two sons and the parable of the evil farmers. He's got some great stories going on. He's a great storyteller. What did we just read in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 10? That he is a prophet and a king. If you were to read Matthew chapter 21, reading on from where we left off, starting in verse 12, Jesus goes into a temple, starts tearing things apart. You're thinking, Jesus gets crazy. He has a righteous anger. If you read on then in verse 14, blind, lame, they all come to him to be healed. We find out that Jesus is a miracle worker. Who is this Jesus? So we know as we read, we can discover a lot about Jesus. Okay? But what did the people back in the time of Jesus say about him? What did they think? We can come to our own conclusion because we can read, right? But what about those people that walked with him, that met him face to face? What did they say about Jesus? Who is this Jesus? We're going to skip through some passages here real quick. and So hang with me, stay with me, turn with me if you want, write them down, whatever one you want to do, okay? John 8, 48. John 8, 48 and 52. Here's the first encounter. We're going to hit a couple of these. Let me read to you, John 8, 48. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? <laughs> These are religious leaders, by the way, talking to Jesus. Whew. No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God wants to glorify me. Let him be the judge. I assure you, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. And the people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say you're one to obey the teaching will never die? Are you greater than your father Abraham who died? Are you greater than the prophets who died? Who do you think you are? These religious leaders said, we think you're demon-possessed. Hey, who do you really think you are, Jesus? You must be demon-possessed. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, 
in this section, Mark 3.20, says this, When Jesus returned to the house where he was staying, the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And they were busy, right? When his family heard what was saying, they tried to take him with them. He's out of his mind, they said. Woohoo! Crazy. Muy loco. Right? Did I get that one right, Lupe? Thank you. Right. This guy's crazy. Well, first he's demon-possessed. Now he's got people come along saying, no, he's crazy. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Or like I said, you can write it down, read it. I'm going to keep going. Verse 53, Jesus finished telling these stories. He left, the, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. Let me hear you say hometown. Oh, it's always good to be home, isn't it? Homecoming, hometown. Oh, I'm so good to be home. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was astonished with what he said. Where does he get his wisdom and his miracles? He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, all the sisters live right here among us. What makes him so great? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Okay, first he's crazy or he's demon-possessed. Then he's crazy and now he's offensive and people refuse to believe him. Who is this Jesus? Just a couple pages over, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus, I like this. Jesus is like, okay, I want to know. Who do people think I am? Who is this Jesus? You tell me who is the Son of Man. Who is Jesus? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In other words, you're a dead man come back to life. You're one of those old prophets that's dead. Now you're here. You're a ghost, I guess. That's what some people think, Jesus. All right, move on. Well, who do you say I am? Simon Peter steps up and goes, You are the Messiah, son of the living God. <sighs> Way to go, Peter. You know, we would hope that maybe one of the disciples would get this right because up to this point in time, people say, he's demon-possessed, he's crazy, he's offensive, I'm refusing to believe him, he's a dead prophet come back to life, and then Peter says, ah, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're our Savior. Oh, way to go, Peter. We knew we could depend on the disciples, right? Because they were followers, right? Wait a minute. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee. Now remember, this is after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead. He appeared to his disciples, okay? Everybody got this scene? The eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Oh, don't miss this next part. But some of them still doubted. Are you kidding me? He just died, buried, rose from the dead, appeared. We ate together, we talked, put my hand in the side. I'm going to worship you, but I still don't know if he's Jesus. Sort of doubtful on this one. 
You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we beat ourselves up because I, it's like, I, I don't know if I can really believe this. I sort of doubt. Can I share with you that the disciples did too? Who is this Jesus? In James chapter 2, verse 19, and if you were to find James, you'd go to the back of your Bible, right after Hebrews. There's a small book of James, and you've got First and Second Peter, and First and Second, Third John, Jude, Revelation. Right there's James, right in the back. And in the book of James, James, brother of Jesus, okay, remember? Oh, he was the one back, what was it, uh, Mark 3.20, and his family came along and said, he's crazy, we'll just get him out of here right now, okay? Now listen to James, brother of Jesus. He writes a book about Jesus, about his faith, and he says, it just can't, you just can't believe it, you've got to live it. You can't just tell people, you've got to show it. It needs to be a show-and-tell situation here. So James says this in James 2, verse 19. Do you still think it's enough just to believe that there's one God? Let me back up. Do you still think it's enough just to believe, believe that there's one God? Well, even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. James is writing to people wanting faith in Christ, but doing nothing about it. Sound familiar? People go to church on Sunday, but they don't live that way through the week. People wear maybe cross necklaces, but they have no faith in them whatsoever. Maybe they got a little fish on their back of their vehicle, but you would never know by the way they drive. I mean, you know, they, they say one thing, I believe one thing, but I do another. That's who James is writing to. That's what he says about that kind of thinking, where you just sort of, hey, I, you know, I believe that's good enough, right? Verse 20, fool. When will you ever learn that faith does not result in good deeds? It's useless. Believing without doing, it's useless. I believe, I believe, that's good. Now show me. No, I just believe. Then you're foolish, according to James. James says that's foolish. You've got to believe and you've got to live it. Those go together. Yet in this passage, James tells us that the demons believe in God and they shudder. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Did you know that? The demons believe that. And it scares them. But yet they won't worship Him. Do we believe in Jesus Christ enough to make us shake? Do we believe enough in Jesus Christ that we tremble on our knees when we think about that someday we will kneel before Him? Mark chapter 1, verse 20. The book of Mark has some incredible accounts here of Jesus with demon-possessed people. Let me, let me share some with you. There's a lot of movies out there. If I were to pull up my phone, pull up an app with a movie thing and say, well, what movies can I go rent right now? Probably half of them are demonic, okay? Possession, um, haunted things. Let me share some with you. Those kind of movies as well as oh, it's, it's okay to have my palm read or read horoscopes or play with Ouija boards and all that. Can I just tell you those are gateways into a demonic world? Demon possession is real. And um, when we look at some of those things and, and just sort of say it's just entertainment, it's more than entertainment, people struggle with this. It's real stuff. 
We don't want to mess with it. Yes, our God reigns, but we don't invite the devil in to mess with him. Okay? Be careful with that. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 says this. Jesus and his companions went into the town of Capernaum, and every Sabbath he went into the synagogue, taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught who had one real authority, quite unlike the other teachers of the religious law. Verse 23. A man possessed by an evil spirit was in a synagogue. Oh, check out where the demon possessed like to hang out in the church, huh? That's scary. Yikes. He began shouting, Why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, if I, I could really say it in a really scary voice, but it would scare me. I mean, just think, could you just imagine how this guy probably hissed and they had a, just a very demonic sound to him? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. See, the demons know who Jesus is. This man's possessed by a demon in the middle of church service. This demon-possessed man stands up in church, calls Jesus out, says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One sent from God. Mark chapter 1, verse 34. Moving on. That evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. Verse 34. So Jesus healed the great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases, and he ordered many demons to come out of their victims because they knew who he was. And he refused to allow the demons to speak. Mark 3.11 says, and whenever, they and whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, they would all fall down shrieking in front of him, you are the Son of God. Point in all this? Why am I sharing this all with you? Because the demons know exactly who Jesus is. You go up to a Christian today and you say, who is Jesus? And we sort of stumble around. Demons know exactly who Jesus is. Do we? What makes us different than them? When you hear a Christian today say, well, a Christian is somebody who believes. It's always centered around beliefs. Did you ever notice that? Tell me what you believe. It's always about believe, believe, right? And that's not bad. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. But what are we doing with it? Sometimes we're a little fuzzy on who Jesus is. The demons aren't fuzzy at all. They know that Jesus is the Son of Most, our God Most High, and they shudder. They tremble. We need to know who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the wonderful Counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. Right? Think about it. That's what we celebrate every Christmas. God with us. Tell me about your Jesus that you worship. What did he do for you on the cross? Tell me about your Jesus. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son. But we need to do more than just believe. We need to live it out. If you believe that I need to eat healthy, then I'm going to eat healthy. It isn't like, well, I really believe this food's good for me, but I'm not going to eat it, okay? No, you're going to eat it. If you really believe it's good for you, you're going to eat it. If you really or driving down the road and you really believe you're going in the right direction, you're going to continue on your direction, on your route, wherever you're going. 
But if for some reason you're thinking, I don't think I'm going the right way. I believe I might be going the wrong way. What are you going to do? You're going to turn around and go the right way. Your right belief about Jesus takes you in a direction that you should live and act upon. So what do we do? What do we do? Here's our challenge. First of all, let's respond with worship. How did those who meet Jesus for the first time approach him? What did they, how did they respond? Well, we know that when the wise men came and they brought their treasures, their gifts, they got on their knees and they offered their best to Jesus. How often do we get on our knees? How often do we give our best to Jesus? It's worship. New Testament, the first four books, the Gospels, read through it. You're going to find probably over 20, at least minimum 20, 22 stories of where people came to Jesus for the first time. What did they do? Boom, on their knees. Those are just the ones recorded. Here's another one. Respond by living it out. Acts 9-2, Paul, and at that time his name was Paul, or actually was Saul, then changed to Paul. He was persecuting Christians left and right, okay? The first believers were actually called the way. Okay? They're called the way. It was about how they lived, not what they believed, and not just what they believed. Otherwise, you know, we, we sit there and we call, we call ourselves what? We're a bunch of believers, right? They were called the way because it was the way they lived. Today, we're called believers. Not that I want to change that and go back to Acts. It is what it is. But I want to make sure that people understand I'm a believer, but it's the way I live. I'm living out my beliefs. Those people understood that how we live and what we believe went hand in hand. John 20, 31 says that by believing you may have life. By believing you may have life. Believing is the means, not the end. During that time when Paul then Saul was persecuting Christians, there was a gentleman by the name of Nero. He believed that he could bring peace by killing off all the Christians. So he would execute them. Multiple different ways that he did it, very gross, very disgusting. We won't go into it. But bottom line was Nero wanted to say, I want to hear you all say, Nero's Lord. And a lot of believers, those who belong to the way, said, uh-uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, no, 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 you need to say Nero's Lord. And the believers said, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. So be it. So he took all those people and put them to death. For John, for the first believers, for them, their beliefs led to living, even though it might have meant death. Believing wasn't the goal. Living was the goal. Matthew 20, 25, Jesus talks to his disciples, and he says, hey guys, the bottom line here, my kingdom is different than the kingdom you're walking in. Power, authority, it's all around us, okay? But in my kingdom... It's about serving. He said, not so with us. That's the way the world lives, not so with us. Our believing impacts our living. You know, I, I really do love watching March Madness right now. Anybody enjoying that right now? Anybody's brackets really busted up right now? Anybody crying about that? Okay. I enjoy watching for multiple reasons. One of the biggest reasons, I just love the enthusiasm of the college kids. I love watching the fans get into it. 
I love watching them paint their faces, wearing wigs, jumping up and down, going, hey, you know, they're bouncing the whole time, and they've got all this crazy stuff that's going on, and it's just, it's contagious. How can you just sit, how can you sit there and watch that and say, those poor kids. No, you're like, I wish I was able to do that. You know, it's, it's oh, I wish I was there, you know. And it's one thing to watch, but it's nothing to be there. Can you imagine, okay, if, if um, again, let's, 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 let's have fun. Ohio State, Michigan, okay, big rivalry going on, okay. And the game's going to be held down in Columbus at Ohio State, okay. And everybody's got their, their wigs and their faces painted and they're bouncing up and down. And, and uh, it's, it's all, you know, two certain colors down there, okay. What are those colors? Scarlet and gray. Okay, just making sure. I thought maybe a Buckeye fan would shout it out a little bit louder. Okay. And I walked into the stadium, and they're all decked out in their colors and bouncing and jumping. And I walked in there wearing, what would those other colors be? See, there was a true fan. Okay. And I come in wearing that, and I stood in front of all them. First of all, there might be a little heckling going on, right? But if I were to stand there and go, who are you guys cheering for? Okay, would I get laughed at or what? Would everybody look at me and say, you're dumb. Can you not tell who we're cheering for? Can you not see the way we're dressed? Is it not obvious? That's awesome to see their allegiance to their team. It's obvious, right? Let me ask you something. Somebody walked in this room for the first time this morning and they're wearing a different color than you. They looked out at you and who are you guys cheering for today? Would it be obvious to them that you're cheering for Jesus today? Is your allegiance to him so strong that people are like, it's so obvious you're a Christian? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I could tell that because I know that you love that Jesus Christ. Patrick Morley said this, of what earthly value is Christianity if it leaves no indelible mark on one's lifestyle? What about us? Is what we believe enough to cause us to live? Are we worshiping every day? Are we willing to do the right thing or take the easy way out? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17 to you. Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you. So don't be afraid. Don't worry. Instead, worship Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And if you're asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak evil against you, they'll be ashamed what they See what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Are you ready to share? Are you ready to stand with your allegiance to Jesus Christ and say, oh, this is who I am. Oh, and let me tell you now about who I believe in. Because I hope my actions are shouting louder than my words and my belief. Always be ready to give reason because the assumption is that they'll figure it out with, without words. That'd be awesome. So when they do ask, you now have the words to share with them. 
show and tell. That's a good game that we as Christians could play. Sometimes we play games with people. It's not good, right? Here's one game I'm okay with you playing with others. Show and tell. Show them your faith in Jesus Christ. Then tell them about Jesus Christ. We went to a movie last night. And uh, actually, Clay asked me after the movie, he said, Hey, what are you talking about in church tomorrow? He said, You got to talk about the movie in church tomorrow. And I said, Actually, I, what I'm talking about in church tomorrow is, was related to the movie. And I didn't realize it. And it's pretty cool. So I'm going to throw that plug in there about this movie. And the movie's called God's Not Dead. If you've not seen that movie, I'm going to highly recommend it to you. Matter of fact, I was sitting there in the movie, and I said, church has got to see this. Maybe we'll just, when it comes out, show it, and just, hey, buddy, come in. It's going to be two hours long. We're going to watch a movie in church. And then there's a scene. I was like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't show that in church. Um, <laughs> it's just it's sort of a violent part, sort of. It made me question, like, little kids and whether they should see it. But then I was thinking, man, it was so good. It was such an incredible movie. We were joking about it. I don't know, not joking. We were talking about it afterwards. As a matter of fact, it took me 10 minutes so I could talk. I mean, I just sort of beelined down. The, the, the movie got out and sort of stayed away from everybody. And, and then we went to eat. And then I finally, st- I didn't want to talk about it. Um, you know, chick flicks are supposed to make you cry, right? God flicks really messed me up. I'm going to tell you right now. They messed me up. Um, it was a great movie. Um, because to me it wasn't a movie, it was real life. The story of what happened in this movie, all different elements, made me just, I, I, I need Kleenexes or something, you know. Uh, Steve and Mike, when you guys shared, you know, about men coming together, and then Steve and Mike talking about families coming together, <laughs> I felt like I had two awesome sermons at the beginning of the church today. I was that was a moment where I'm sitting here going, I need another Kleenex because it's awesome to see people stand up for God. And in that movie, I felt the same way. And uh, I, I was like incredibly moved to, to sit here and listen to this movie. And then at the end of the movie, it's all based on a college student that goes off to college and basically his professor says, God's dead. If you all sign a paper right now that says God's dead, we'll move on and we don't have to do other stuff with this class. And you know, basically, this kid was going to get kicked out of the class or flunk if he said, God is not dead. And so that's basically what the movie's based off of. And at the end of the movie, they, show, they run the credits of all these colleges and schools across America where there have been court cases against situations like this, where God's getting tossed off the campuses and Christian groups are being tossed off campuses because there's some highly educated people that says God's dead, so we won't talk about it here. It's real life. I don't think I've ever gotten emotional looking at credits before, okay? And it's rolling, I'm thinking, we gotta stand up. It's not enough just to believe anymore. We gotta show it, we gotta live it. I wanna challenge you, get in these community groups. Put your name down. I want to get in a community group. I want to connect with other people. I want to live this out with other people. I don't want to be a Lone Ranger anymore. Get connected. Let's get you connected. Okay? Let's go out and do what we've been talking about. Because we love God, we are going to go love others. Let's do this. Let's stand for Jesus Christ. I don't want no demon showing me up. He believes in Jesus and he shudders. I believe in Jesus. I want to do more than shudder. I want to do more than that. Amen? Let's please stand.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome, incredible, mighty God. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to worship you, to learn about you. Lord, now let us go live for you. Lord, if there's somebody in here this morning that's never confessed with their mouth, they never believed in their heart that you are Lord, may this be the morning where they confess. Right where they're standing right now, they can just pray a simple prayer asking for forgiveness, asking you to come into their life to be their Savior and to be the Lord. Lord, we know that you are faithful and just. You forgive us of our sins and you cleanse us of the wrong things that we've done in our life. Thank you for that. Lord, with this new life, help us now to live for you. We believe in you. We need to live for you. For those of us, it's like, I am living. Lord, let us live even more. Let our lives just shout with our actions of love for you and for others. Lord, we sing to you now a song of worship. We give you all the glory, all the praise. In our name we pray. Amen.